Well, good morning, church family. We have been, for the last few Sundays, uh, hearing about God's making beautiful things out of dust. And we have been doing that through Jesus' parable of the lost son. And we're going to uh, look at that parable uh, one more time in our series, Lost and Found. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, I'm going to be reading verses 11 through 32, the parable in its entirety. I've read portions of it and then or all of it uh, throughout our series over the past few weeks, and we're going to read it again. And the reason why I'm doing this is because we, how easy it is for us to just glide over this very popular parable and overlook something. Um, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my Bible reading that I'll read a passage of Scripture, I'm thinking, I, have I read that before? You know, have I read that before? And so this is why we're reading this again. And I'm, my prayer is that uh, we'll just keep probing the depths of the gospel. And I don't think we'll ever hit bottom. <laughs> so follow along with me as... Um, I read Luke 15, 11 to 32. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his, literally, his life, his life between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth In wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now keep in mind, Jesus is speaking to a Hebrew audience. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up, And went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. 
But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is God's word. Well, there is an ancient Asian lesson, uh, legend rather, um, about a father who had a wild and raucous and rebellious son, and this boy got involved uh, with some village ruffians who persuaded him to steal from his father's own treasury house. And after the robbery was over, the friends actually fled with the stolen treasure, left the boy behind to face the guilt of his crime. And the young man was desperate. He'd been deserted by his friends and betrayed the trust of his father. But his greatest crime was that he had brought dishonor upon the family. And in a culture where family integrity was a sacred trust, this was the worst violation of all. Broken and deeply repentant, this young boy went to his father and begged forgiveness. The father called all of the members of the family together to celebrate the reconciliation and return of this son. And when all had enjoyed the banquet to the fullest, The father stood at the head of the table and lifted up a cup. It was a cup of rice wine for a toast. But as the son drank deeply the contents of his cup, he grabbed his throat and fell over onto the table lifeless. He'd been poisoned. The father, with ceremonial dignity, nodded to the guests and each in turn politely bowed to the father as they silently left the banquet hall. All was now put right. The son had paid the price of his pardon with poison. Family integrity was reestablished. And this entire unfortunate incident was closed. Aren't you grateful for Jesus' version? So far in our series on this parable of the lost sons, and both sons were lost, we have talked about them. We've talked about both sons, both brothers. And some of us have identified with the younger brother. And we've gone to the distant country in pursuit of a dream which became an idol, which became a nightmare. And we've lived in rebellion against God and we have paid for it by eating food fit for pigs. But when we came home, God did not give us poison. He gave us a party 
He smothered us with, as Ben put it earlier, unfair grace. He gave us his mercy. Others of us have identified with the with the older brother, the older son, and we've, we've struggled. We've struggled with bitterness and we've struggled with uh, resentment and, and uh, uh, we, we've, we've created our own distant country even though we've really never left the property. And we've learned that God wants us to be merciful toward the undeserving if for no other reason than he's merciful. So here we all are, older brothers and younger brothers, the whole family has gathered And yet, as I read through this parable again, looking for truth, digging deeply into the glory of the gospel, you know, I think that there's another lesson here for us. Whether we are an elder brother or a younger brother, it's a lesson for all of us, for every one of us. And I want to tell you what that lesson is Before I do, though, I would actually like to suggest a conclusion to the parable. You know, this parable is really open-ended. We really don't know. Did the elder brother come back? And and Jesus was, in fact, using it to, to the audience to whom he was speaking, inviting them. What's going to happen here? Consider this possible conclusion. After the father pleaded with the older son, the older son embraced his father and entered the house and was reconciled to his brother and to his father. And the father celebrated with both of his sons. And the celebration ran deep into the night. The next morning, after the celebration was completed, After the fattened calf was enjoyed, after the wine had been served, after the guests had gone home, and after the house was cleaned, the next morning the father invited his two sons to his table. And he looked into both their eyes and he said to them, I want you both to know how glad I am that you are home. I love you both. You are my sons. You always will be. You are heirs of this estate. I am always with you, and all I have is yours. We are family, and in my family, you will never go without shoes. In my family, you will never go without robes. You will always wear my rings because I want you to know. I want you to rest securely knowing that I am with you. I will never leave you. I want your spirit to be flooded with my love. And if any, at any time, you Don't sense that. Come see me. Come see me. Now then, I want both of you to join me in the work of this estate. You see, this estate is not really just meant for the blessing of this estate. It's meant for the blessing of the community. I want both of you to represent me. I want your lives to be such that when others see you, they say, well, I know his father. I want you to think how I think. I want you to speak how I speak. I want you to act how I act. And I don't want you to do this in order to get my love, but because you've already got my love. I don't want you to think about your efforts or works as an attempt to earn my love. I want you to know and feel my love supplying and fueling and resourcing your efforts 
See, my resources have given you all you need for life and responsibilities in this estate. Now then, will you join me? Will you? And so captured by their father's love, both sons said yes. And they served him all their lives. And their descendants served the father to this very day. I really believe that that's this parable's destination. I do. And, and, and when I read this again and again and I, I dig deeply into the glory of the gospel, I'm, I'm hearing that Luke chapter 15 in this parable is more than assurance of acceptance. It's a summons to ministry. And thus the lesson for today Here it is. Don't miss it. It's simply this. God finds me. God finds me. Why? To change me. Why? To make me. What? More and more like him. That's it. God finds me to change me, to make me more and more like him. You know, we we often read this parable thinking that we're one of the two sons But Jesus wants us to look beyond these sons, does he not? I'm I'm thinking of what one uh, author, Henry Nouwen, wrote. And if you would like a good uh, read on this parable, it's his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son. Listen to his questions here. Henry Nouwen says, but what of the father? Why pay so much attention to the sons when it is the father who is in the center and when it is the father with whom I am to identify? Why talk so much about being like the sons when the real question is, are you interested in becoming like the father? It somehow feels good to say, these sons are like me. It gives a sense of being understood. But how does it feel to say, the father is like me? You see, this parable is is more than a call to return. It's a call to become. It it means not only returning to receive forgiveness, it means becoming the kind of heir who offers forgiveness. It means more than returning to a joyful homecoming. It means becoming the kind of person who helps throw parties for others who come home. It means more than receiving compassion it means becoming someone who compassionately embraces others who were as undeserving as you were before the father embraced you see how often we walk away from this story thinking well how good and loving and caring it is for god to accept me as i am and we sing that old hymn just as i am without one plea but that thy god uh, by thy blood it was shed for me and then we just kind of leave it at that content content to remain this dependent forgiven child we we, just like we feel at ease cooing in the crib of god's estate and sucking on spiritual pacifiers being understood but never being challenged to grow and i'm hearing this parable ask questions like don't you think it's time to get out of the crib and start standing and walking and assuming the responsibilities of spiritual fatherhood That's what I read in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 to 14. 
You have been Christians a long time now and you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things a believer must learn about the scriptures. You're like babies who drink only milk and cannot eat solid food and a person who is living on milk isn't very far along in the Christian life and doesn't know much about doing what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who have trained themselves to recognize the difference between right and wrong and then do what is right. Coming home to God means becoming like God. Oh, if only the meaning of the story were that people sin but God forgives. I could easily think of my sin as a really neato occasion for God to show me his forgiveness. There wouldn't be really any challenge if I just stopped there with this parable. I would just resign myself to my weaknesses and keep eventually hoping that God would just close his eyes to them and just let me come home whatever I did. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a Lutheran pastor in World War II, he called this, he called that perspective cheap grace. He wrote, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. In verse 31, the father says, everything I have is yours. Now, if that's true, then that means I am an heir. I'm a successor. Well, what's the succession plan? Well, the succession plan is stepping into the role of spiritual parenthood and beginning to offer what I've been offered. Or am I simply content to enjoy the goodies and not assume the responsibilities? Let me get personal. Those of us here who've been Christians a long time, you know, are we becoming like the Father? Are we? Has his life become our life? Is transformation happening? God is offering us the fatted calf. Why are you still sipping Similac? What a sad thing to still be in diapers when you've known Christ for decades. God finds us. Why? To change us. Why? To make us into what? More and more like him. More and more. If we have got to get this if we are to pursue our vision of pursuing Christ passionately. We've got to get this. God finds me to change me, to make me more and more like him. Now, what does that look like? Well, what would it look like to become more and more like him? What what does it mean to become like the Father? Well, I think that shows up in, in four ways. It shows up in many ways. I have time to talk about four of those ways. And the first is this. Becoming more and more like the Father means agreeing with who God says I am. That's first. Verse 31. Verse 31, the father says, my child. It's a term of endearment and intimacy. And that's God's story about us. 
my child. Um, Seth Godin is uh, kind of a marketing guru, and he asked a very good question that I read about the other day, and it's this. It's the question, what story do you tell yourself about yourself? What is that? He writes, marketers tell stories. They tell stories of clients, prospects, bosses, suppliers, partners, voters. And if those stories resonate, and if they spread, and if they seduce, then the marketer succeeds. But then Godin asks, what story do you tell yourself? What's your elevator pitch to yourself? Do Do you have an elevator pitch that reminds you that you're a struggling fraud, certain to be caught and destined to fail? Is that it? Do you have one that just enforces and reinforces a guilty conscience? Huh? So, some of us, our elevator pitches sound like this. Uh, I can't. Or, or it, it'll, it, it, it can't be done. Or when's the other shoe going to drop? Or I never get a break. And, and you wouldn't do any better if you'd been through what I've been through. That's our pitch. That's our story. Or you can't expect much from me. I'm a victim. Or how about this? If it wasn't for, you fill in the blank, well, I'd have done better. When you talk to yourself, well, what do you say? See? See, both sons came in from the field and both sons sought to return to the father on their story. They, they sought to return to the father and their story was going to be a story of paying back as a servant. Both expected to be paid for their services rendered. That was their story. The, the one wanted to come back as a hired hand or a slave, and then the other one, well, thought he had been all along. But the father refused to let them come back to the estate to live by their story. He insisted that if they were going to come home, they're going to be coming home according to his story, and they're going to live on that story. So becoming like the father means agreeing with the father's story about you. Do you know what your story is? Well, here, listen. Listen listen to God's story about you. Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's God's story about my life. God's story is Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's God's story. Oh, and then I love this story in Revelation 1, 5 and 6. To him who loves us, that's Jesus and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's God's story, and he's not changing. And it's no self-help story either. It's a trust Christ alone story. It's choosing by faith to believe what God says about me is true. Absolute truth. Whose story are you hearing this morning? 
Well, another way of becoming like God means, um, well, it means waiting patiently and prayerfully for others to return. Some of you have prodigals in your life. Whether it's a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter or a prodigal husband or a prodigal wife or a prodigal parent or a prodigal brother or sister. And sometimes the very best thing that you can do is to simply leave the light on. Okay? And you can't fix it. And you want to fix it, but you can't. And it's not your job to fix it. It's your job. See, you've tried to fix it, and it got worse. Because you ended up enabling your prodigal. And by that I mean doing, doing what only the prodigal can do and should do. You, you can't repent for your prodigal. You can't. But you can leave the light on. And you can wait patiently and prayerfully for their return. And doing so requires Holy Spirit-empowered self-discipline because you don't know if or when they're going to come home. You don't. Um, and so you pray. And you wait. And you leave the light on. And you keep trusting like others did for you. A third way of becoming like God is uh, being prodigal with forgiveness. Prodigal with forgiveness. You know the word prodigal doesn't mean wayward. Do you know that? It means, the word means recklessly spendthrift. That's what it means. It means to spend until you have nothing left. Being prodigal with forgiveness. And someone once said that forgiveness is a really good idea until you have someone to forgive. And... Well, listen to what Henry Nouwen says here. <laughs> I don't know about you, but sometimes I've said, I forgive you, but my heart is still resentful. You know, I've said, I forgive you, but I still wanted to hear the story that tells me I was right after all. I've said, I forgive you, but I still wanted to hear apologies and excuses and groveling. I've said, I forgive you, but I still wanted the satisfaction of receiving some praise in return, if only the praise for being so forgiving. Thought he was talking about me for a minute. Oh, he was. You see, when you're hurt or when you're offended, there's really only one of two responses. Really, one is stick it to them. Stick it to them. Make them pay. Make them pay. The other is you pay. You absorb the debt. You hurt. You forgive. And that's exactly what the Father did. He forgave at great cost to himself financially uh, in terms of, of 
um, embarrassing himself by racing out to the field to the returning sun running as dignified older men never did in that day. Philip Yancey uh, is a Christian author and he, listen to this, he once heard an immigrant rabbi make this astonishing statement. This rabbi once said, before coming to America, I had to forgive Adolf Hitler, he said. Because I did not want to bring Hitler inside me to my new country. Well, finally, becoming like God uh, means sharing my life with the overlooked. I mean, I get that from verses 1 and 2. Uh, the, the sharing my life with the overlooked and the overrated, right? I mean, Jesus was, who first heard these parables? Tax collectors and sinners, the overlooked, and the Pharisees, the overrated. Overrated, that's who they were. These tax collectors and sinners, these were, uh, these were people of ill repute. I mean, these were the people that the world labeled undesirable. And yet Jesus was comfortable with them. He made friends with those the world had forgotten. And that's what he wants us to do, church family. He generously shared his life and blessed those at whom the world would just cringe. How are you doing this? What? He wants us to share and he wants us to bless as well. And isn't that, isn't that why we're doing, isn't that why we did Jesus Days at Restoration Urban Ministries? Isn't that why we're doing Family Resource Day? You've seen in your bulletins the blue insert that has labeled Family Resource Day, August the 6th, and it's our annual opportunity to meet needs with love to those who are overlooked, to those who do not have the resources to help prepare their children for school. And this is why um, our church has a goal of actually 450 backpacks this year. Please Please begin collecting those and bringing them to the church house this next week. And you can sign up and let Lisa Sheltron know when you can serve as well. And not just give a backpack, but actually give the gift of your presence. And if you're ready to sign up now, you can do that and put it in the offering plate. Or you can, there's a, a station out here uh, by the foyer and you can see what opportunities are there. But this is why we're doing this. We're not doing this to earn God's love. It's because we have been loved and we want to share. Uh, And isn't that why we have Celebrate Recovery on Friday? You want to know something wonderful that happened Friday at Celebrate? Uh, Mike Carey, one of our ministry team leaders, came up to me and said, Randy, I want you to meet uh, this sister in Christ from Tuscola. And I had a brief conversation with her. And here she uh, is uh, exploring the possibility of starting a Celebrate Recovery ministry at her church in Tuscola and wants uh, the ministry team here to, to mentor that process. And I'm going, yay, God, that's what this is about. That's it. Here, we who have received now are sharing and loving and I can't, I, I, I can't leave out our weekend of service initiative, September 24th and 25th. I mean, can a thousand people actually make a difference in a community of over 100,000? We're going to find out. We're going to find out. And I want you to know that with every act of compassion to the overlooked, the Holy Spirit testifies to our spirit, yeah, 
This is what the father's children do. This is what the father's children do. That's right. That's right. Well, can't you hear what this parable is saying? Ultimately, becoming more and more like God is nothing less than becoming like Jesus Christ, which is why Paul said in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, Jesus really is the answer to every question at this church. He is. And, he, and you know what? He's every person in this parable. He's the true brother in this parable. He's the younger son without being a rebel. He's the elder brother without being resentful. He is the loving father who goes to the distant country from heaven to earth to give his life. And he gave himself on the death of the cross for us. He obeys his father and yet this doesn't mean he's a slave. He does all his father tells him to do and he remains free. He gives it all and he has it all. He is the son of God who put on flesh so that every lost child could come to him and become like him. And so, as those silly little tags say on your seat, if lost, return to the father. Return to Christ. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's just you and Jesus. And he's very personal in that verse. Very personal. I, I close with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. There's two persons in that verse, you and me. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, not to anybody else, but to me. He does not say, come hear a sermon about me. He says, come to me. Come to my work, my person. And no one is put between you and Christ. Come to Christ directly. Now, you need a mediator between you and the Father. You need a mediator between you and the Father. But you need no mediator between yourself and Christ to Christ you may come just as you are without anybody to recommend you or plead for you or make a bridge for you to Jesus. You, as you are, come to Christ as he is. And the promise is that on your coming, he will give you rest. And that is Christ's assurance. There's no deception in it. Just two persons. And then Spurgeon says this. Let everybody else vanish and let these two be left alone to transact heavenly business with each other. Shall we pray?